Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company, handed by yours truly. And uh, doing some editing here on Lady Hyde. Been feeling good with that. Going through, doing all the sound levels and uh, doing ambient room noises and all that stuff, plugging it through. So uh, if I stay on my track, I'm hoping to have it done by the end of the month, uh, So, which would be about uh, about another two or three weeks you know, from here. So yeah, I think in like a month's time from where I'm at, I should have it done. So I'm happy to say that finally. So that's good. Then to tackle Emmanuel after that. So she's fun to tackle. But this is the Franco Observer podcast. And by now we are up to episode 9090. Oh, oh my God. Oh, 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 nine. Oh, man. Didn't think I'd make episode 90, but uh, yeah, here I am on episode 90. And uh, after this last stretch with Franco Films, his X-rated films, and then the crazy uh, Opela de Fuego, uh, two female spies, those two different versions and all the differences with that, uh, this one coming up here looks like kind of a mellow, fun film. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to do this one solo. Uh, there'll be no guest reviewer on this one, but we will on the next two if everything goes as planned, but uh, this one is the Girls of the Copacabana. Uh, that's the USA DVD cover title, which I have in my hand. This is uh, from um, let's see, Televista Incorporated, two thousand and nine. This was DVD. It's not on Blu-ray, so I think that's the only legitimate. I got that through Amazon. Um, kind of had to look for it, uh, but yeah, it's 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 there. Uh, it might still be for sale. I'm not sure, but I would assume it is. Uh, the Girls of the Copacabana. Oh, yeah, before we go any further, of course, all information comes from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Mr. Stephen Thrower. So this is The Girls of Copacabana, Film 90 on this episode 90. So, yeah, by this time, Franco's done 90 films, some released, some not released, whatever. But, yeah, Girls of the Copacabana. Spain and France production, 1978. Um, let's see. Original theatrical title in countries of origin. And since it's Spain and France, then you have the Spanish and the French title. Uh, Spanish title, Copacabana Girls. French title, Copacabana Girls. Uh, Copacabana on Spanish is uh, La Chicas, La Chicas de Copacabana. And uh, the French title, Le Feliz de Copacabana. Pretty straightforward. Uh, unconfirmed titles, Las Muchachas de Copacabana. I like the Las Muchachas. Uh, Spanish video, possibly. Yeah, it wouldn't be French, that's for sure. That's <laughs> uh, the Copacabana girls, so they just flip it. Um, yeah, the Muchachas. All right, so uh, production... Uh, I've known some Muchachas. Uh, production companies, Triton, PC out of Madrid. And Euroscene, the beautiful, mighty Euroscene out of Paris. Uh, theatrical distributors on this, CIDC, which stands for Cooperativa Industrielle de Distribuciones out of Spain. And uh, Altamira Films out of Spain. And, of course, the mighty Euroscene out of Paris. Uh, timeline on this. Looks like it's a few different deals. Uh, first shooting period is in Portugal, and that was around November 1978. And the second set of shooting uh, in Paris is in February 79, about three months later. Uh, and the third shooting period in Rio is in May of 79. That's three months after that. So, yeah. So about six months, he knocked this film out from basically November to May, three different shooting periods. And uh, French visa issued March 30th, 79, played Seville, May 15th of 81. And Barcelona, May 17th of 82. And Madrid, January 30th of 1984. Theatrical running time, Spain, 95 minutes. DVD running time, converted. Uh, SP Manga Films, PAL DVD, 89 minutes, 4 seconds. My DVD says uh, France, Spain, 81, color, 86 minutes. 
they have 81 Seville. Okay, yeah, that's the first running time, so that's the correct year. Even though it's funny, it's filmed in 78, but uh, but the uh, 81 is the release year. It's about three years. That's not bad because uh, without what I'm doing is like I, I shot two films, and it's been next month will be a year since when we were shooting them. So if I can have one done in that year's span time, that's about my average. I, I, I was, thought I'd do it quicker on this one, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But yeah, so yeah, that's that's what he's doing here. Uh, of course, with uh, yeah, that's not him releasing it too. That's the production companies and everything else, or the distribution company Eurocene and, and uh, Altamira. Um, okay, director Jess Franco, writers Jess Franco, director of photography Juan Cilar Cozar, and Jess Franco. Uh, music Daniel J. White as Pablo Villa. Nice, what a good credit. So Daniel J. White is Pablo Villa on this. Uh, music publisher Carla F. Paris, executive producer. Uh, Joaquin Dominguez Rigoso as Joaquin Dominguez assistant directors Fernando Vidal Rubio uh, Claude Pilot script supervisor Luis Vidal Rubio sound recordist okay uh, production manager production manager of course Daniel Sewer uh, production assistant Oscar Cruz art director Antonio Montero uh, stills photographer Juan Solar Cozar that's cool uh, makeup Nicole Gutierrez. Okay, interesting. She's doing makeup on this. Um, okay, so cast uh, Michelle Hermit uh, as Juanita Martinez is the lead, followed by Leonardo Melo Acosta as Leonardo da Costa. He plays Juan Turon, uh, and then the other guy, Michelle Hermit, plays Juanita Martinez. Okay, and um, Juan Turon and Jean Durand is two. Casting or other two versions, he's, he's labeled different, yeah. Uh, Jerome Fallon plays Hans Smith, of course. The great Victor Mendez returns as Mr. Smith, Hans' father. Uh, Lena Romay's got a smaller part in here as Leah, not Lena, but Leah, Hans's seductress. Sounds like something she's more than capable of. Uh, Jean Marie Lemire as Roger, Juanita's blonde suitor, Carlo's nephew. Then we have Olivier Mathot returning as well as Carlos Martin Frey de Acosta, Roger's uncle. Plays a dirty old pervert again in this film. Uncredited Daniel Lesseur plays the man outside the phone booth, phone box. Uh, Antonio DiCabo plays Leah's father. Juan Solar, cool, as the guitarist. And then they added uh, Carmen Lucia and Gerardo Hill. Um, of course, I'll read the synopsis when I do the review part, which is a short one on here. Actually, a lot, not too much notes on this film. Uh, production notes. La Chicas de Copacabana is a complicated production comp- comprising materials shot in Portugal, France, and Brazil. Juan Solar, who is director of photographer and stills, cameraman on the f- and stills cameraman on the first part of the shoot, recalls that the film was begun in Portugal in 1978. Included among the Portuguese scenes are several designated to simulate a carnival atmosphere with dancing extras and a party streamer strewn everywhere to give the impression of Rio setting. All the sequences featuring rotund Victor Mendes and elegant Antonio de Cabo were shot in Portugal too. The opening scenes of Leonardo de Costa and Michel Hermann busking in the rain were shot on the Champs-Élysées, Paris, probably in February 79. The camera behind them is showing Confidences por Confidences, released in Paris on the 3rd of January 1979, and Truffaut's L'Amour et Fuite, released in Paris on January 24, 79. While a cutaway to Jerome Filoun arriving in his car reveals the Richard Attenborough film Magic. All right. At a theater across the street, Magic opened in Paris on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Nice. Which makes the most likely shooting date for these scenes mid to late February of 79. See, that's cool. That's great. That's cool that Stephen Thor caught that. So that's something that's nice if you're shooting with things that can kind of pinpoint it down like that. Uh, the Brazil footage was then picked up later in May 1979, after which Franco returned to Spain to shoot El. Let's see, uh, returned to Spain where he went to shoot El Escrabajo de Oro. Uh, the only scenes clearly shot in Rio are a flower. Or I'm sorry, is a four and a half minute sequence with the three leads 
in an open-topped car with Sugarloaf Mountain and the statue of Christ the Redeemer visible in the background and just over a minute of DaCosta and Hermit busking. Uh, Parisian songs outside a Rio restaurant. Uh, This footage is technically poor and heavily overexposed. Maybe there was more material shot in Brazil that couldn't be used at all. The film was given a CNC approval number on March 30th, 1979. According to Aknen and Beers Erosine Cinema, Bis Francis et Familiale, the official CNC website for some reason is devoid of information relating to the film. Although the print version of the CNC archives declares the film as a 70% to 30% Spanish-French co-production with Spain as the major partner. So yeah, 70% Spain, 30% French. All right, review uh, by Stephen Thor. A Riley affectionate in its view of teenagers' sexual adventures and their dawning realization that life doesn't always play fair. The Chicas de Copacabana is uncharacteristically gentle for a Jess Franco film. Although it's fairly insubstantial, it has an odd, wistful air hiding beneath the jollity. It's based around three likable young performers, female lead Michel Hermert, French actor Jérôme Fallon, and Spanish teenager Leonardo da Costa. Um who enliven the comic situations and make you feel that these are real people, not just stock comedy characters. In particular, there's rather more attention given to the male characterization this time. Jerome Fallon's bookish music graduate Hans, obsessed with Beethoven, discovers to a surprise that he's a bona fide pussy magnet, while DaCosta's sexy but needy Juan tries to coast along on his Latin loverman shtick, but repeatedly fails to score. The comedy aspects are variable. You'd have to be a fan of the moldiest British farce to enjoy the scene where Hans plays host to his rich father in a hotel room the old man is paying for, while in every possible hiding place a scantily clad young woman is concealed. Jess loved this gag so much he restaged it in 1983, Sangre e Miss Zapitos. Blood on my shoes. Uh, but Franco is not trying to be innovative here. He's making light-hearted nonsense with just a twist of genuine feeling. DaCosta proves himself an immediate asset for such a project. A lively physical performer, unafraid of acting the fool, he exudes a spontaneous sexiness that even his buffoonish characterization can't really subvert. Among the familiar faces, Lena Romay puts in a relatively brief appearance as a sex kitten intent on getting her hands on Hans. And Victor Mendez, usually either a grotesque bully or a idiotic comedy character in Franco's films, here plays a dignified and surprisingly liberal father who indulges his wayward son and bails out his friends too. And it's always amusing to see the incurably sleazy Olivier Mathot making his moves on a pretty young woman, something that I'm sure provided him with a career's worth of motivation. Playing the rich older gentleman card for all it's worth, he almost manages to take Juanita up the aisle, but thanks to the last-minute wisdom of her friends, she spared the catastrophic misfortune. And she's not the only one to be saved from an unfortunate liaison. Earlier, we see Juan accosted in the boudoir of two extraordinarily creepy-looking gay men who have offered their hospitality with goodness knows what strings attached. Having failed to raise enough cash to rescue his prostitute lover from a life on the streets, Juan has clearly had to rely upon the kindness of strangers, which wouldn't be so bad except that the gentleman in question look like Notre Dame gargoyles come to life. Wow. Uh, Lucky for Juan, Hans' father dashes to the rescue with plane tickets back to Paris, so all's well that ends well, except for the creepy gargoyles, who must have been very disappointed. The moral of the story, and there is a moral, amazingly, for a Franco film, is that young people should take care not to embrace the shackles of maturity without first enjoying the carefree pleasures of youth. Kind of like the special song, Too Much Too Young. Okay, it's not a message the Catholic Church would endorse, but it's a word to the not-yet-wise about premature responsibility one tries to 
turn a prostitute's life around with barely a nickel to his name. Juanita almost gets hitched to a much older man whose maturity seems alluring after the callous young buck she's encountered, and Hans almost misses out on the fact that he's attractive to women because he spends too much time reading Voltaire. Despite the sense of fun, Franco cannot help but include one of his increasingly tasteless rape scenes, a trend that kicked off with 99 women and reaches its peak with the stunningly immoral molestation scenes in uh, La Noche de los Sexos Abertos and La Orgies Inconfessibles de Emmanuel. Inconfessible Orgies of Emmanuel. And then the other one is... Uh, yeah, no, just uh, aberrant sex. I forgot what that one's called. Um, okay, this time it's only attempted rape, but played for fun, with a question mark. Three horny lunkheads make La Vida a bit too loca for sexy young Juanita, who fends off their evil intentions by dangling by her fingers from a third-floor balcony. What japes. Never mind, she ends up firm friends with her suitors until the carnival atmosphere erupts into a Bacchanalian frenzy and the tearaways try to gang rape her again. Just as well, the ringleader's dad comes home early. Whew. Otherwise, barely legal Juanita would have ended up a carnival spit roast. I know I sound insensitive, but this is the way Franco chooses to play the scene. If I were to switch moods as capriciously as Franco, I might end this broadly appreciative review by saying that La Chicas de Copacabana is the work of a director who, after a decade making even more explicit erotica, is beginning to lose sight of what sexual aggression is like in the real world, as opposed to the fantasy sexorama he sees down his viewfinder. Maybe I'm being corrupted, though, because despite the bad taste of that particular scene, I regard La Chicas de Copacabana as one of Franco's warmest and gentlest films. That's cool. Yeah, I have yet to watch it, so I'm going to be watching it tonight or tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. Cast and crew. Uh, playing Juan, the film's handsome young Romeo, is Leonardo Melo Acosta, credited variously as Leonardo da Costa, Leonardo Costa, or Melo Costa. Nice. Melo Costa. Uh, it's the first of his three roles for Franco. He's also a member of the doomed rescue team in Devil Hunter and a blind guitarist working for a villainous Sedean couple in Eugenie, Historia, her, her Journey to Perversion, 1980. Uh, or, uh, or History of Perversion, yeah. Uh, he was introduced to Franco by director of photography and fellow Lisbon resident Juan Solar. Although he lived in Portugal for many years, Acosta was actually born in Uruguay. After his brief spell working for Franco, he took residence in Paris until the early years of this century when he moved to Chile. Connections. Hans' college coursework is a literary thesis on the French writer Voltaire, and the choice of author is not insignificant. Voltaire's most famous work, Candide is a comic novel about a young man whose sheltered life and optimistic outlook are shattered as he witnesses the horror and hardships of the wider world. Uh, dealing with the theme of disillusionment, using sarcastic wit and satire in a way that may have influenced Assad, Candide is subtly echoed in the overall theme of Franco's films with its young people moving from carefree recklessness to sad awareness, but that things don't always turn out for the best in the best of all possible worlds. Amen. Music. I guarantee that the theme tune, a jaunty little samba sans merci, will circle around in your head for days. Hmm, interesting. I've yet to watch it, so I'm looking forward to that. Locations. There's the end of this right up here. Uh, the majority of the film was shot in Lisbon, and the Portuguese town of um, Sesimbra, standing in for Brazil. Additional scenes were filmed in Paris, and a few brief sequences were shot by Franco in Rio de Janeiro itself this being his first South American shoot since X-312 Flight to Hell in 1970. Juan Solar remarks, The Rio shoot was only Jesus and Lina, 
and the protagonist Leonardo Mello Acosta and Michelle Hermet. They hired a small team there to do the extra shots, probably only assistant cameras in production. Yeah, very small. Good. All right, so that's the write-up on uh, the Girls of the Copacabana by Stephen Thrower. It's funny, too, Copacabana, like 878. I wonder if that's probably just around the time that the Barry Manilow song uh, Copacabana was out. That sounds like right around that time frame. So I'm curious if, Frank, if that had any impact on Franco's wordage or what. I mean, I know Copacabana is an old word, but he liked to kind of cash in on things like anybody else would, any filmmaker would. And so I'm curious if uh, if, he, if there's, it'd be funny if he ripped off. Because, you know, like they did the bootleg where they put in Temptations and Pig Floyd. It'd be funny if they did a uh, Barry Manilow, uh, Copacabana, edit remix of this film <laughs> or just add it in, like the background of one of the club scenes or something so alright so look forward to checking that out uh, let's see plugs all the deal okay you know the deal uh, there's a donation button on the front uh, I've had two people now do that deal let's see if uh, if you're down to join in it's a fun deal to do uh, also too you can download all the episodes they're always available and you can subscribe to them they're available on all your favorite listening platforms I think we're on like about shit I don't know, 7 or 10 or something 12 some, somewhere around there I have to look through all of them like Amazon and Apple Music and just all of them so yeah uh, subscribe to that please and rate us if you're able to you know it's always cool to rate us a star rating and a brief write up or whatever it's always uh, I guess that does really good with the whole outlook of how many people see the show and all that stuff so if you can uh please rate us and all that good stuff and of course subscribe and share and of course tell a friend if you like the show tell other people about it i always appreciate that word of mouth positive word of mouth is even better so please feel free to tell your friends they can find us at the franco observer podcast also if you want to get a hold of us you can at franco observer that's f-r-a-n-c-o O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R one word at yahoo y-a-h-o-o dot com uh, you can also find us on Facebook we have a page for the Franco Observer Podcast and Instagram you can find us on the Franco Observer Podcast page always add that page and you get all the news that's fit to print uh, of course uh, mission statement which I do all the time is Praise and memory. We do this in praise and memory of Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. So do that every week, and that's good. Just one thing about this podcast, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night over some drinks, and uh, I mentioned that this podcast was a good thing for me to start 90 episodes ago. It uh, helped with my discipline of uh, doing a show every week, watching a movie, writing up things, talking about it, recording, editing, posting, building the site, all that stuff. And then every Wednesday, putting it out, um, you know, plugging it on the websites, on Twitter, well, that's the my Twitter page, Jason Rudy, uh, and all that stuff, and, and keeping that routine, and that routine through that helps me to do other routines. I mean, sometimes it's easy to be overwhelmed, because right now I'm like uh, doing a podcast, trying to paint pictures a couple a week. Sometimes I'll do one a day. Sometimes I'll do a few, but average about three or four a week. Um, and then uh, editing the film, and then, of course, doing all the sound on the film, and Foley and ADR and, and uh, color correction and all this stuff. And then, of course, you know, life and relationships and work and and uh, my pets. I got uh, hens and chickens that I take care of and love, so... And then, uh, yeah, all that other stuff. And then, of course, our own mental health and physical health and spirituality and, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, it's a busy life. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't mind is a devil's playground. So I try to keep my mind busy. Keeps the blues away. Keeps the deep, well, keeps some demons away. So, But, uh, yeah, other things that help keep demons away are the girls of Copa Cabana. So... I'm looking forward to looking at these girls of the Copacabana. And on the other side of this break, I will tell you when I thought of La Chicas de Copacabana or Muchachas de Copacabana. Buenas noches. Maha.
Hey, and we're back on the Franco Observer podcast. So, I just got done watching the girls of the Copacabana, a.k.a. Las Muchachas de Copacabana, and uh, Las Chicas de Copacabana, Le Feliz de Copacabana. So, yeah. You know, I don't remember a Copacabana in, in the film, uh... So yeah, it was interesting. Um, this is a solo one, of course, of uh, film number ninety, "The Girls of the Copacabana." I must see if I can try to say that about t- ten more times. No, um, yeah, it, it was an interesting film. Um, I'm not sure what to think about certain parts. Um, like it started off kind of slow, and like the first twenty twenty five minutes, I was thinking, "Wow, this this is kind of a really interesting Franco film." I'm not sure if I'm digging this or not. This might be. Not the worst one, or, or my least favorite of the uh, Franco films, but uh, but see, I'd say the last hour of it, or I'd say the first third was a little slow, but the but this, the middle and the last third was actually picked up and got quite good actually, and I and I did uh, appreciate it more. So yeah, this is interesting. So um, I want to get a bunch of notes on this one because uh, there's a couple things that I caught on here that I thought was kind of cool. Um, okay, so, we have, let's see, let me go ahead and read the, read the synopsis real quick on this, and then we'll go back and, uh, I'll go through the film, and, uh, go over certain things and talk to you about it, since it's just me on this one, I'm gonna kinda do it a little bit tighter, so, so rearrange all the mics here, alright, synopsis, Juanita, it's actually a really good actress. Gal plays Juanita too, by the way. I'm just kind of, kind of jumping between here. And um, Michelle Hermit, uh, and Michelle Hermit, she uh, plays Juanita Martinez, the lead. She reminds me of like a younger Lena, kind of like like maybe like her first film that Lena would do or something like really uh, baby Lena. But uh, unfortunately, as I watched uh, or looked through the, the other films, it doesn't look like she worked with Franco again, which is a shame because she's really good in this film. She's a really good lead. Um, all three of the actors I liked a lot. They were very believable, especially Hans and her. I'd say were the two strongest. And then uh, the guy that played Gene was good too, but not as good as strong as those two. Anyway, here we go. Synopsis: Juanita, Hans, and Jean, three close friends and students in Paris, decide to sneak off to the Carnival in Brazil, using money given to Hans by his rich father in furtherance of his studies. Jean and Hans both enjoy occasional sex with Juanita, but once in Rio, the three go out looking for excitement alone. Hans, despite his studious nature, finds women throwing themselves at him non-stop. Juanita makes many friends, including a rich, older man and his amorous son. Meanwhile, Jean has trouble finding a girl until he persists in getting to know a pretty black sex worker. Hans's father arrives in Rio to check that his money is being spent wisely, and Hans tries to control, conceal his excesses. After a row, the three friends split up. Will they ever make it back to Paris? So yeah, that's the little synopsis of the film. So, um, yeah, it's it's funny watching this. Um, you know, it takes place, like he, they said he shot it over three different times in... Um, Portugal, Paris, and Rio. So, I was thinking watching this is almost like a vacation film. Like uh, Franco would almost say, "Hey, let's let's go to Rio, or you know, for uh, like a week or something, and film a bunch of stuff, and then just go vacation, taking the sun and the atmosphere and everything." So it's almost like a working vacation. That's how I felt watching this film. Like it was a vacation film with just Franco to take vacations with his friends and old friends, and we get re- reacquainted with some people that he used to work with. Because um, this is an interesting film, too, because it's almost like a full circle. Franco, at this time, had went through everything he had done, and uh, did the Dietrich deal, and the Harry Allen Towers deal, and the, all that stuff. So now he's back at Eurocene, and uh, he's kind of repeating his, his pattern, because he just did the three X-rated films, and then went back and did basically a Red Girls film, uh, Opal de Fuego, you know, non directly a red lips film still got the same semblance and this one is almost like one of his early early films like this is like uh, we are 18 or um let's see what's the other one i was thinking of uh we are 18 or um uh yeah because because red lips was his second film we are 18 is his first film and this is almost like we are 18 mixed with uh 
Vampiricus 1930, which is like his fourth film. So yeah, this is like his second, his fourth, like his first and his fourth film kind of put together, which is good because he's kind of going back and kind of uh, starting over again. And uh, by this time, you know, film 90, he's already kind of going back and saying, okay, well, we did all the porn stuff and all the other stuff. Now let's go back and kind of just do like a greatest hits. So you have the three likable young leads, fresh faces, new people you haven't seen before. Um, like the first film, instead of having the same, you know, Howard Vernon and Lena and everybody, Lena's in here, a very small part, and uh, she's clothed for most of it. And she finally gets nude later on. I'll, I'll talk about that. So it's it's kind of funny, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, it's kind of cool. So it's almost like he's, you know, um, starting over again. So yeah, so I have this as, uh, you know, like I, like I said, the first. Uh, Let's see, the first 28 minutes or so, I thought it was like about a C minus, and then it definitely picked up. And this was like, I, um, this was filmed in 78 and 79, and came out finally in 81. But it's funny, it's like, um, this reminded me of like a beach movie where like friends go to like Florida or they go to, you know, the island somewhere, and then, uh, or in LA or somewhere, and then they basically, these three virgins all go out, even though they're not virgins in this film, but three sexual young teens, and they go through, and they have hijinks, and then some hook up with older people, or younger people, or some of their age, and then all things fall apart, and all that stuff, so yeah, it reminded me of like, uh, Spring Break, or Private Resort, or or uh, Fraternity Vacation, or one of those type movies, so, but yeah, it was interesting, and it's funny that he kind of did this a little ahead of the curve, because those movies, even though he had like Where the Boys Are, and, and the Frankie and Annette, movies, the beach movies of the 50s and 60s and stuff, uh, 70s, it kind of slowed down from what I can remember, and then, so by this one, 80s, it's almost like he did this, and then a couple of years later is when the Hollywood kind of went ahead and did their deal, so if he would have, this, if this would have came out maybe two years later, or if he did this two years later, he might actually had a small hit on his hands, because watching it's very comparable, it's very formulatic, and it, it follows a lot of the bases of bigger Hollywood films from that time um, that are that were just so flooding the market, you know, um, hot moves, you know, all, the, all those movies basically like that. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's it's interesting that this could be in that type of class of film. So so if you like those type of movies, you'll, you'll definitely like this. Um, let's see. Okay, so, um, yeah, it starts off. Um, I'm going to kind of hit the uh, Franco list as I do here. Starts off with uh, number one, body of water and uh, and excessive zooms. You have basically body of water is a painting of uh, of like the Rio, but then you see vacation footage and uh, a lot of aerial footage. This film has a lot of padding. Um, it's got a lot of like carnival and and Brazilian footage that I think was shot differently, either by him for an earlier film or purchased because. A lot of the footage doesn't match. The older carnival footage is like I got a blue tint to it, and there's like uh, floating lines through it and, tra- and um, print damage. And the other one is clean, so it's funny that they, they they don't even color match correctly for for color correcting or anything. So you could tell it's definitely the not in the same uh, day or situation or whatever. So, but yeah, so you have uh, number one, number ten, excessive zooms right off the bat. There's mentioned of a Malou, uh, which is a popular. Uh, character name for Jess Franco. Um, and you have the first nudity f- is uh, five minutes in. Uh, we always try to map that out for the Franco thing because, of course, his films are always nude, nude, nude. So, yeah, the first nudity is five minutes in. And uh, you have a mirror shot, number 12 on the list from there as well. Um, what's interesting, I thought, is uh, the young guy, Hans, likes to have sex with classical music. He's really into Beethoven, so he has sex with... Uh, uh, Juanita with Beethoven again and uh, has sex with her again in Rio uh, the Dante and the Largetto the uh, two movements so it's funny that uh, he's really into that and he has to have that music playing to get him actually aroused um, we see Victor Mendez in this film Victor Mendez returns we talk about people returning to the Franco universe uh, Victor Mendez was of course in a lot of the cool uh, Franco films um, right after Lena I mean, I'm sorry, right after uh, Soul Dad passed, he's in, like, uh, Virgin Among Living Dead, and he's in uh, Mondo Sex, and he's in, um, um, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Virtual Report, and, and he's and he's in tons of films. He's a really big, heavy-set guy. Uh, it's really funny in this, so. And, and he's and he's really good in this. He plays uh, 
uh, Hans's father, and he has like really good dialogue with Hans at the end, and they have a. It's a very like a good. It reminds you of like an '80s film, you know, father and a son deal. So it's actually really nice. Um, let's see. Uh, they have a little song that I recognized earlier in the film. Um, and then we have uh, number 19 on my list, Talking Parrot. There's no talking parrot in this film, but there's mentioned of the Parrot Hotel is where the person's staying at. So, of course, he gets his parrot reference in the film. So, um, And then we have uh, shots of Rio. And so we have body of water. We have sailboats, boats, and palm trees. So we have one, two, three, and four. Uh, and then also we have number eight on the list, club scenes dancing. There's really no club scenes dancing in this film, but there's just dancing in the streets and everybody getting down to bikinis and the big wear, the Rio wear and everything. So I'll, I'll count that as club scenes dancing, but not stripping because there's no stripping in the streets. But yeah, so you have number eight on the list. So so yeah, right now we have uh, one, two, three, four, no jungle sound. Well, yeah, actually there's a little bit of jungle sound effects in this film, uh, Rio-wise. Uh Number six, Chained Up Person. There's no Chained Up Person in this film. This is probably one of the only Just Franco films that I've seen in a while, at least, that has no Chained Up Person. But um, this film inspired a new addition to the list, so hang out and I'll tell you more. Um, So let's see, we have a threesome with music I thought was funny. They were all basically decided to have sex before they go uh, Juan and... uh, Juanita and um, um, Hans, and they decided to finally have sex together, all three of them, because they were both sharing her at different times, kind of clandestine to each other, because um, Hans was in on it as well. So they finally do that, and he starts playing his classical music cassette tape, and uh, and uh, Juan doesn't like it, he keeps trying to turn it off, and he turns it on, turns it off, and they go back and forth, and the tape rewinds real loud and kind of backwards thing, and it's played for comic effect. And then so she stops and takes out her own cassette and puts that cassette on music she likes, kind of a little jazz number, which we get to number nine on the list, jazz music. So yeah, there's quite a bit of jazz music in this film as well as other cool music. Um, So yeah, you have that scene of her with the cassette tape. It was pretty funny. Um, And then uh, they go to Carnival and all that, and Juanina hooks up with these three guys that find her attractive, and they go to take her up in the room to dance with her, and they get her naked to dance with her, and then they proceed to try to molest her and rape her and she fights them off and then she uh they chase her to the edge of a balcony and she basically tries to jump off the balcony and hold on her fingertips and of course they bring her save her and then she ends up having sex with them uh for saving her life which is crazy because even though it was because of them that she tried to escape and almost die so very weird uh all right so we have um Oh yeah, Selena shows up finding the film, and she's in a uh, her wig, of course. I think she's. uh, Oh yeah, okay. So she's actually Lena Romay in this film. She's not Candy Coster, but she's got the wig on the whole time. So, and she's in a white bikini for most of the film. Actually, the first hour she doesn't get nude at all, but uh, she just wears this white bikini and she kisses Hans quite a bit and and throws herself at him and everything. But just just heavy makeout sessions is all she's doing in this so far. And then we have. uh, let's see what's his name. Gene. Gene uh, goes with the uh, black sex worker, and he falls in love with her and talks to her. And then her f- brothers are mad because she's a prostitute, and they think she's given away for free. And then she has to escape and sneak out of there. Um, and they always and Voltaire too. Voltaire is mentioned quite a bit in this. Uh, we talked about it earlier in this film or earlier in the podcast from Stephen Thor talks about it, um, where basically um, the quote Voltaire quite a bit and they also talk about the three essential elements and that's uh, Hans always trying to remember what the three essential elements are so after I finish this podcast I'm going to look up the three essential elements that Voltaire was speaking of because I'm sure that relates to the film um, Juanita wears these black and white striped socks scenes uh, which is really nice and kind of ha- I think those might be the socks from like Midnight Party or Shining Sex like on the poster of the black and white socks that Lena wears I think those are those so it's very very cool uh what else we got here um oh yeah so then we see an appearance of a guy that's supposed to be lena's father uh and that is antonio de cabo plays leah lena's father antonio de cabo it's interesting to see him again so like i talked about earlier we have um how this is kind of going back to we have victor mendez returning to the franco fold and we have um Olivia Mathot by this time still being one of the regulars and of course Lena and then we have also um, Nicole Gutierrez uh, 
does uh, the makeup, and uh, I believe that's uh, Franco's ex-wife. Um, I thought she was on wardrobe, though. That's interesting. Makeup, laboratory. Huh, interesting. So, so yeah, so we have a lot of the cool people that are, are returning and, and doing stuff with him. So, yeah, back to... Um, Tony DeCabo. Uh, Tony DeCabo, I remember first seeing him. He's a very interesting guy. He's uh, got curly white hair, big, bushy black eyebrows, and always plays like a very queen-type camp character. Um, and his first appearance in a Franco film was uh, X-312, Flight from Hell, which is uh, like film number 33 from Franco. So that's and we did that back on episode 33, um, which is really interesting. So that was 33, and it's about 60 or 57 films later, he comes back now. It's so funny, 57 films later. So yeah, so now he's back. And, uh, I'm sorry, so after after X-312, he's, uh, he's in X-312 first, and he does Dracula, Prisoner, Frankenstein, and he's in, uh, uh Virgin Among the Dead, and he's in, um, uh, what else is he in? Oh yeah, of course, this film. So he comes back for Girls of Copacabana, and then after that, he returns again. So then he starts working with Franco again, and he does uh, Sadist and Order Dame next, and then uh, Sexual Aberrations of a Married Woman, and uh, Devil Hunter, and finally Lake of Virgins. So it looks like he does about eight films total for Franco, maybe nine. I maybe missed one, but uh, so that's cool. And looking him up too, he was um, he was basically a uh, Spanish theater director that uh, fled to Portugal in 1960s to escape. Uh, General Franco Francisco, or Francisco Franco, um, I would assume he was uh, homosexual, so that's why he fled from the uh, regime because he knew he'd probably be killed in that country. So, yeah, it's cool that he comes back into fold. He plays kind of a exaggerated queen character here as as Lena's father, and it's really like almost like he's just there to have fun and, and have sex, and whenever. Lena's the guy's trying the Hans is trying to talk to him about Voltaire he's like oh yeah whatever and he just not he knows that Lena just told the guy a lie basically to get laid and so his whole thing is that so who knows what he does but yeah so it's kind of interesting to see him again so see him and Olivier Mathot together is pretty funny seeing those two in the same film uh, so then we get the second rape attempt of Juanita by the three guys she gets back with him again and um their uncle shows up, which is Livy Mathot, and then she uh, passes out. And there's actually a nice lens flare scene where he takes her takes her back to her place and being a gentleman and talking to her and trying to pick her up on that. But there's a nice lens flare in the car with the two of them that Franco catches from the driver's side door. And it's a really nice shot, actually. So uh, nice that he caught an actual deal and looked very stylish and very pretty. Um, yeah, like I wrote, said earlier, all the, all the, all three leads are good, believable, like an 80s coming of age type way. Um, the mix of stock parade footage and his own, oh yeah, and then so what he has is he has like the footage of the parade cut with his own recreation of footage where he'll have between like eight and a dozen people kind of dancing in like a little sidewalk areas and costumes and that. You can tell it's added later and it's, it's funny because it doesn't match, but it's like, these people interacting with the other parade footage that was shot earlier to try to make a match and it just it just looks goofy but uh, you, you can see he's trying so uh what else we got here so yeah finally 58 minutes into the film we get lena romay getting nude so it's a very hot scene she takes her clothes off real takes her bikini off real fast jumps on the bed sucks her thumb and poses naked waiting for hans to come in and instead he comes in with other people and she has to hide and that's actually my favorite part of the film is uh that scene where uh, even though Stephen Thrower dismissed it, I thought it was really funny. Where, and almost in a Three's Company or a British sex film comedy type way, where he, everybody's hiding in different places because he, he brings in one girl, and the other girl's waiting for him. She has to hide, and then the other girl, three other girls come, and they have to hide in the other room. And then the other girls hide in a space, and they all don't know about each other. And then the fat father comes in, and he sits on the couch, and the girl's underneath, and she makes noises from how heavy he is sitting on her, and. Same with the bed, and Lena's tickling his feet and hiding, looking up. It's a really, really playful, funny scene. Kind of like a Three's Company style, and then Beethoven's playing. And um, so then, uh, oh yeah, so then later on, the father finds out and sees all the girls come to his rescue, and he sees that his son is actually 
he was afraid that his son, from being very studious and by himself, that would turn out to be a, a faggot, so he says, or homosexual. So uh, he was very upset that his son was basically being studious, that he thought his son might be gay. But now that he was so happy that his son was with all these women and having sex, that he has nothing to worry about. And he says, you should just play and be free and be young and don't rush too many things. You could study when you're an old person, which is good advice. But still, you need to plant those foundations for later success. So, yeah, it's interesting that way. So it's funny that, you know, and it's funny that Franco has this really kind of um, uh, view on homosexuality when he has uh, uh, Antonio DiCabo and other people that are homosexual in the film as well and friends of his that, that are past actors so I don't know it's kind of interesting his view of it but it is what it is uh, okay so then we have um, Juanita and Carlos they have a really nice dinner scene which is pretty good and then we have more uh, padded footage of oh and it's funny too he gives her a ring I think it's like a black opal which is funny uh, it's not an opal it's not a fire opal but a black opal um, and let's see what else did I catch uh Castle Crew Dancing, we did that. Um, oh, yeah. So then it was funny, too, uh, all the different... We see more and more of parade footage, and it just looks worse and worse. Um, but, yeah, so then we have these... Uh, so, basically, we figure... We find out that the... I'm not going to tell you the whole film, but basically the father did the deal where he gets his son back together with his two friends because they were arguing and all this stuff, and he basically pays off the prostitute so she'll move away. And so Gene's by himself, and he ends up moving in with these two old uh, queens that are very uh, interesting looking. This guy's really skinny, and the other guy's all, all short and fat and glasses, and they're all... His thrower says he mentions them, they look like gargoyles, so it's very funny. They're in bed with him, or they're upset because he was going to live with them. But he gets out of there and makes his way out, and they all kind of live together. They all leave together with the father, takes him to the airport, and he realizes he misses the plane. And they're all pretending like they're driving, but as they pull back, they're sitting in the car. Just like the ending of Two Female Spies with Flowered Panties. It's almost the same ending where, and they just laugh, ha, 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 as it ends with the word, uh, with all the credits, and then the end at the end. But uh, yeah, very similar ending to Two Female Spies with Flowered Panties, where they're sitting in a car, supposed to be driving, and they're heading to the airport or heading somewhere away, and uh, they laugh about some dumb thing about some missing something or changing something and it's just goofy so yeah very very odd but that's how this film was um it's a very gentle film very humorous um there's really not a lot of violence i mean there's rape stuff that's more suggested and and going up to the point and they kind of talk about it after but uh that's the most offensive thing in here there's really very there, there's there's nudity of course so it's already and all that stuff but it's a very uh almost an 80s beach losing their virginity type movie even though like I said people here are obviously sexually active and not virgins but still it's that type of you know teen beach movie type deal spring spring break movie so yeah that's basically what this was a spring break these 18 year old kids getting away from Paris going down to Rio to try to find some adventure and some fun like you know blame it on Rio or something yeah maybe maybe blame it on Rio took from this (laughs) that would be funny so anyway yeah um it's not the worst film, but it's not the best film. Um, so, you know, uh, it's not bad if you're a Franco Completist. I'd recommend it. Uh, if you're into something a little different, you want to see f- what a kind of film Franco can make, that's a little different. Uh, this is definitely one to watch. Um, I wouldn't dissuade anybody from watching it. I, I, I would say out of five stars, I would give it maybe like two and a half, maybe, or two to two and a half, um, which is not saying it's bad or anything, but, you know, I would say five stars is like, so my, like say maybe Virgin Only Dead or or like uh, the Demons or something is maybe like four to five. So I'd say this is like half of that, you know. So yes, like I said, it's, it's not bad. Um, oh yeah, one thing I've teased but didn't tell you. Uh, let me go back to the list because there is a new addition to the list that I've noticed in all these films, and it was kind of dumb. I was like, why didn't I add this? So I'll tell you what it is. It's number twenty-eight now. So we'll get there. All right. I'm going to run through this uh, list real quick. Like I said before, one, two, three, and four is covered. Body of water, sailboat, boats, and palm trees. Number five, jungle sound effects. Very no, not nah, not really. Six, chained up person. No. Seven, dance scenes on stage, stripping. No. Number eight, club scenes, dancing. Yeah, there's basically a party in the streets. Everybody's dancing, so I'll count that. 
Number nine, jazz music, yes. Number ten, excessive zooms. There are a few zooms in here, but not excessive, but there's a few, but no. Twelve, out of focus shots. Not really. There's a scene where um, the prostitute and Jean are walking together, and they're out of focus, and the rest of the world's in focus. And I thought symbolically-wise that was kind of cool because it's like their future's hazy while the rest of the world's in focus, and they're out of focus, so I thought that was kind of good. I don't know if that was on purpose or not that Franco did that, but it looked good. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. A few, not too many. 13, mind control theme. No. 14, magic tongue scenes. No. Lena licks her, wags her tongue a few times in a playful manner, but that's about it. Like a little puppy dog. Uh, 15, red light. None of that. 16, sheepskin rug masturbation. None of that. 17, mad scientist. No. 18, fish tank shots. Nothing. 19, talking parrot. No, there's the parrot hotel, but no talking parrots. That was the last film. We had a great two of them. 20, end credits, yes or no? Yes, we have end credits and the word, the end, which is great. Uh, number 21, handwritten notes. Uh, hmm, actually, or signs. Like yeah, I say no. 22, spiral staircase. Didn't catch that. Uh, 23, inept cops. No. 24, belly chains. No. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip on kinks because that's kind of, eh, I don't know. 26, uh, great headboards. Didn't catch any because they're all in the hotel, so they're pretty lame. 27, fear or desire. I'd say desire, definitely, because they're all desiring to get laid and meet women and guys and do all their fun and do all their good stuff. And finally, the new addition to the list, number 28. Is there an acoustic guitar player in this film? Yes, there is. So I noticed there's always acoustic guitar playing in this phase of Franco's films. Three Fs there. Uh, or no, actually, PF, PFF. Um, so, uh, yeah, I noticed that the acoustic guitar player is going to be the new addition to the list. So I think I might replace Kinks with that one. Because so. Kinks is kind of played out. Because so. we all know they're in just whatever. So my view on that has changed. Um, so, yeah. So number 28, acoustic guitar player will be now number 27 or whatever. So, yeah. So we see that a lot. And, and of course, Gene is the acoustic guitar player. And actually, uh, Juanita plays acoustic guitar in this film, too. So we got double acoustic guitar players and uh, all that good stuff. So, Alrighty, well, I hit you with all the plugs on the top end of the show. So I'll save that for that. And uh, just tell you that thank you again for listening to the Frank Observer Podcast. And this is going to wrap up this episode. So stay tuned for next week, episode 91. Until then, buenas noches. Mm-hmm.